They were high school sweethearts that got married and had a kid. It's the Brunigs. In the swamp of D.C. they tweet all day, but that's okay. They're the Brunigs. She is a journalist. He is a wonk. Wonk, wonk, wonk. They talk about the news or whatever they want. In the fight for justice, they're on your side. You can't deny it's the Brunigs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to our low-effort, low-quality podcast. This is Liz Brunig, and this is my husband, Matt. Hi, everyone. Uh, if you've been following along on Twitter, uh, you may have seen, and this is hard for me to talk about, uh, Matt was canceled. I wouldn't say I was canceled. No, Matt was definitely um, canceled. You know, I, I, I think I'm coming back on Netflix. <laughs> um, you know? <laughs> So is that really a cancellation? It's more of a migration to a different channel. You know, it's hard to know what to do when a loved one is being canceled. You know, do you intervene? Do you try to stop the cancellation? You know, because it was the holiday and uh, I wasn't even online <laughs> during it. You were canceled in absentia, basically. I know. You got to see so much more of it than mm. I did. I, I had to get it secondhand. Um, I logged on and found out Matt was canceled. <laughs> it was very traumatic. To it was quite you know. surprising. I, I had no idea that uh, that it was going on, or even what the hubbub was about. It took me a while to figure to figure it out. Our um, daughter went to sleep, and I logged on, of course. And then I was like, "My God, look what they've done to the man!" Yeah, he was just completely canceled. There was a full cancellation. Well, so the backstory, uh, uh, as far as I can tell, is. Uh, there was a piece in the New York Times from David Leonhardt who said that student debt cancellation wouldn't be progressive. And this was, all he really did was he linked to this Urban Institute report yeah. that itself was just an analysis of the survey of consumer finances. Okay. And they show that if you break down student debt by income, that higher income people have more of it than lower income people. And of course this is true. Um, yeah. argue about this with David Leonard, they could just pick up on the wealth graph and say, yeah. hey, you're looking at the wrong thing. You're looking at income, but we're looking at wealth. And there are other arguments you could in get into for why you might want to look at wealth. That was the gist of it. And I titled my piece, Various Distributions of, Various Distributions of Student Debt or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it didn't have any commentary, really. It was just like six graphs. And Jacobin wanted to cross post it and in cross posting it, they're like, look, can you put like a little conclusion at the bottom? And I was like, yeah, sure. So, you know, here's some of my thoughts on, on this in general thought one as uh -huh. it unfolds, there's only like 400 words in the piece. So it's not yeah. like this is like, wow, you missed yeah, it's this like thing. mainly charts. Yeah. There's almost no words in it. Thought one was, Hey, David Leonard, uh, it's more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's the richest people who have the most student debt, but it's also the least wealthy who have the most student debt. Right. And therefore, the w way we usually think about distribution, it kind of scatters. Mm -hmm. Because in almost all other cases, income, the highest income people are also the wealthiest. Mm -hmm. 
And this is one of those scenarios where that's not true. Right. Um, it's, uh, it's flipped on its head. Yeah. Um, and then point two was to say, you know, given that this is so scattered ideologically, we need to try to be clearer on what we're trying to do. Mm. Uh, like, what is the point of student debt forgiveness? What is our purpose? What is our goal? Yeah. And then I said, one ap- goal appears to be, it seems like when people argue for this, what they have in mind is that people who went through college before it was free, because the left wants college to be tuition free, mm-hmm. that people who went through college before it was free, they took on all this debt. And, and, and we should, in a kind of reparations way, though I don't use that word in the piece, we should give them reparations for the fact that they went through unfree college. Right. And I say... What's interesting about that purpose is it student debt forgiveness doesn't actually achieve that purpose because there are people who went through unfree college, took on, let's say, $30,000 of debt. They spent the next 10 years dutifully paying it off. Because they paid it off, they couldn't buy a home. Maybe they couldn't start a family. They suffered real loss from having mm-hmm. to pay it off. They have less savings. They're less financially secure, etc. And if you really want to provide reparations to victims of unfree college you got to find a way to make them whole as well yeah, yeah. um and, and uh and then i finished the piece with saying i you know basically we just need to get clear on what we're trying to do um i just sort of leave it open like that yeah. it was the most toast thing ever and again appended to a piece whose goal it was to right. give you a second distribution that you could use to say actually student debt mostly affects the least wealthy people in society yeah um and i think it's because the jacobin headline which was like student debt may not affects more people than just the rich but that doesn't necessarily mean that you should forgive it or something like that was something like what the headline was i think a lot of people picked up on that and then it just kind of took on its own steam in the yeah in the twitter world um and yeah and there were a lot of people that were really pissed about it um and yeah i don't know i mean you saw more of it than i did well the cancellation appeared related to the fact that you seem to be saying or or for whatever reason they took you to uh, so i think the first incorrect assumption was they took you to be saying we shouldn't uh, do anything about student debt Right. Well, right. I I didn't say anything right. on so whether they, we they, should or shouldn't. They took the piece to be saying, uh, no, student debt, leave it status quo. Okay, sure. Um, and so, I mean, I immediately thought that was suspicious. And then they took you to be saying, um, this this isn't progressive to relieve yeah, student debt. Yeah, even though that was the thing I was arguing against right right right. (laughs) in a Um, way you know or at least complicating so it was like the Um, usual like oh i see the uh the far right cato-esque magazine jacobin is uh (laughs) is again advancing matt brunig's view that uh student debt is good because it encourages people to work harder yeah it was something like like this extremely garbled obviously false motivated misreading Another thing I noticed was all the people who read it that way already didn't like you. Well, that's how it is online. You know, uh, that's part of the reason why I don't really yeah. plug in. I mean, I, but I did find it very interesting because it wasn't just like, oh, man, people are mad at me for something I didn't even do. But it was interesting to see the arguments unfold because it didn't occur to me when I threw that out there. But apparently no one else had ever considered 
this problem. Yeah. <laughs> to me, it's the very first problem that occurs in my head. That's why I kind of, I threw it away as a for instance. Yeah. It's like, for instance, if we're trying to do this, then blah, blah, blah. Therefore, we need to think through this more. Yeah. Like it wasn't like an argument. That wasn't the point of the piece. It was like a, an example of why we need to do better theory. Right. And apparently this has never, uh, no one had ever like, worked through this in their brains before. And uh, this is shocking to me. But as they're working through it real time, yeah. they're coming up with bizarre arguments. So they're like, well, um, excuse me, if you've already paid off your loan, then that must mean that you're, you, you know, you had the ability to pay it off. And so you're well off. And you're like, well, one, that's means testing yeah. logic. That's. We're back at step one. We're back at yeah. the David Leonard of New York Times point, yeah. which is that you're saying, well, these people are rich, so who gives a shit? Yeah. It's like, well, wait a minute. You So you, so you don't want to give, uh, yeah. you don't want Donald Trump's uh, kids to go to college? Uh, yeah, for, yeah for, that's, like, that's what like, I, that's, that's, yeah. But they, they wouldn't believe that. Like if you were to sit them down and be like, wait, think about this for a second and like put it in a non-heated way, they'd go, oh, no, no, I'm against means testing. So yes, those people should get it as well. But in the moment when they're trying to backfill yeah. that commitment, they they reach for means testing logic, which I thought was fascinating. Um, but then secondarily, of course, that's an absurd claim. The reason people yeah. have paid off debt uh, 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 is not necessarily because they have a lot of money, but it might be because they've been out of school a long time. Right. Yeah. Like if you were comparing, yeah, like let's say two people graduated on the same year, they had the exact same debt and we look yeah. at them 10 years later, then it's probably the case, though not necessarily, it's probably the case that there's an association with if the one of them has paid it off and the other one hasn't, then the one of them that's paid it off was probably better off, yeah. was probably well off, more well off, they had more income, etc. But what about someone who graduated a month ago? Yeah. They might have $30,000 of debt, but then someone who graduated 10 years ago... They don't have any debt, but they used to have 30000 They right. spent the last, the next 10 years just paying it yeah. off. And that that is not proof that the person who has no debt had a higher ability to pay it off than the person who didn't. It's just proof that they're older right. and that they've had time to, and like that's going to be the strongest relationship between how much debt you have is, is how old you are and how much time you've had to pay it off. So basically um, you look at the student debt thing and you conceptualized it as just sort of a macro level problem. Like here's a dysfunction in the economy. Yeah, or and I think that the people who were having problems with you look at it as like a personal struggle they individually as students or recent graduates are involved in, mm-hmm. right? They're like, this is like my personal struggle. It's like an oppressive thing that's happened to me. And you're like, well, but it's not just you. It's actually millions and millions of people who go through college and even if they've paid it off they're still a part of the problem you're observing they still physically feel the problem and i I think that's one of the other aspects of it um here is when i look at it i'm like the thing is net worth the issue is net worth and if i had to pay off thirty thousand dollars of loans my net worth is permanently yeah thirty thousand lower thirty thousand dollars lower than it would have been it's not like, well, you paid it off so you're not suffering anymore. I continue to suffer. I continue to have $30,000 less than I would have right. had. And I, and I, and and I think that part is hard. Like people, what, well, what, like, like no tweets, one ever considered that net worth is a thing. From the tweets, it, it just seemed like people who were saying like, look, I can't buy a house right now. Right. Like, I can't get married and have kids right now. So like if you're 10 years down the line and you've paid all your shit off and now you're managing to think about buying a house or having kids you're not part of the same struggle I'm part of because it, it feels very different. But I mean, then 
part of leftism is accepting that a lot of people are affected in different ways by the same dysfunctions in society. Yeah. Um, um and so and I, and I thought about I thought about tweeting about this, but I figured it would be better if I didn't. But there's there's a psychological aspect to it where you're just not um the entire time I've known you, even when you were a student at the University of Oklahoma, you have never been super sympathetic to um, student first leftism, let us say. Um, and I think it's because, I mean, how many people in your neighborhood ended up going to college? Did little well, John d- go to depends, college? It depends which neighborhood. <laughs> I <laughs> moved uh, around a lot. Did Heather go to no, college? No, you're right. You're I right. Mean, well, 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 I mean, college students are the upper class of 19-year-olds or 20-year-olds. That, that's what they are. I mean, it's just a wor- sort of a weird thing. And, and maybe it, that's becoming less and less the case. Um, but, like, certainly that's been historically the case and, and is still, you know, like, the case. <laughs> like, I mean, like if you were to say, who is the best off 19-year-old? You would immediately go, okay, uh, let's go to the top school. All right, that kid. And for and so, yeah, like, yes, those are the future bosses of the world. Those are the views future professors, uh, uh, professionals of the world. The fu- you know, those are the future upper class Which of society. Which isn't to say there aren't poor people in college. There no, no, no. You were right. a poor person in college. Right. But R- when you look at the breakdown of who goes to college and who doesn't. Well, well right. So they're, they're both disproportionately from upper class, uh, yeah. like heavily disproportionately. I mean, we're talking about like the bottom percent of young kids in terms of family income. I think something like 20% of them are in college at age 18 yeah. or 19, I mean, and then for the top percent of of young kids in terms of their family income, it's like 80, 90%. Yeah. Um, and it just goes right up the ladder. The richer you are, the more likely you are to be in college. Yeah. So it's both true that they're coming from those backgrounds yeah. and also true that they're just in that time slice. If you were just to say, let's just take a whap, just a cut right at 19, and yeah. I go to you and I say... Show me the top kids. Show me the top 19-year-olds. Who are they? In terms of class, in terms of, of wealth, in terms of well-being, in terms of power in society, who are they? It's the college kids. Of yeah. course, it's the college kids. Yeah. Um, and so that's another way to look at it is, is even yeah. just ignore the background and just look at that slice. Um, and then, of course, when you look going forward past age 19, yeah. of course, they're sorting into the upper-class professions. I mean, that, you know. So, yeah, there's not an immediate, like, knee-jerk sympathy where I'm like, students are, you know what I mean? Like, which I think is what you're getting at. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Whereas there's I think um, a lot of people, they're like, no, students and workers and, you know, women and, uh, like, the, the students go on the list of oppressed groups, whereas I'm like, mm, not, that's not my inclination, certainly. I would say, if anything, non-students go on the list yeah, of yeah. the oppressed groups. And so I think um, that, you know, there's just a, you know, your tendency to kind of view student issues, which are important. Right. I mean, it, student debt is obviously an issue and free college is obviously an issue. But your tendency to take them and view them at a, in a macro way instead of an immediately personal way, I would suspect psychoanalyzing you has to do with. I, I mean, when did you even think about going to college? Were, were you generally of the view you were going to go to college? Well, no, I, 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 mean, I went to college because I was a national merit scholar and the University of Oklahoma recruited me to come to their school. Otherwise, I don't think I would have gone, or I would have gone to the local community college, perhaps. Um, that's the only reason I went. Um, I basically, I think you never formed a college student identity, and I think that that. Uh, well, yes, yeah. it was irritating. Also, yeah, being in college to some degree, the it was a very weird shock because, yeah. Uh, well, I remember when I used to go home, my next door neighbor would be like, 
it's the college boy. Yeah. And I'm like, there's such a weird mismatch because he looks at it and he's like, oh, the fancy man is back. And then when you go into like uh, college left circles, they're like, we're, we're, they're like a pa- uh, peasants in, in 1970s China in their own like imaginations. And you're like, this <laughs> stuff is f- f- fucking wild. Um but there's another explanation as well, which I actually thought was probably yeah. maybe uh, at least equally compelling. Uh, <laughs> Matt Stoller said, uh, Matt uh, looks at people like they're walking spreadsheets. Oh, that's true. And I'm like, um, yes, of course. No, I've always uh, appreciated that about <laughs> you, actually. Because he was referring to like, oh, Matt's looking at assets and liabilities and net worth like human beings or balance sheets and so on. I'm like, well, yes, of course, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, and and someone has to to do that. I mean, it, the and the obviousness of the, the personal, that you're just missing the personal element became very clear to me when I was reading the Twitter responses and someone goes, Matt has never met a poor person in his life. Like, that's why you, uh, you, they believe. Not in college, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> they believed you not to, not to prioritize student debt relief or something because they said you hadn't ever known poverty or met a poor person. And I was like, this is at the opposite of what is true, actually. Yeah, well, but that goes to their, their self-conceptualization uh, as, as the, the proletarians. proletarians uh, as opposed are. to the, uh, the uh, bourgeoisie in waiting. And again, it's like, look, it's not that the student issues don't have a place. Obviously, they do. It's just like. I think that maybe there's a little bit of hyperbolizing that goes on with the, you know, the conceptualization, uh, you know, of, of a plan like yours as being anti-student because it's not immediately about relieving all debt now and nothing else. I, I think that's well, and, and my the, the one that pops out of the piece is actually much more generous. Right, it actually a, says, well, you'd have to forgive all student debt and forgive all debt that there ever was, even if it's been paid off. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> that was actually the upshot was to say, well, we can't just only get, you know, uh, so, so that it was a sort of a weird thing. But but in general, what, what I was trying to get at just to kind of put a button, you know, end on it. Um, it's just like, let's be clear on what we're trying to do. Yeah. And then, like, go forward and, and make sense of it. If it's yeah. we're trying to provide reparations to people who've gone through unfree college, debt forgiveness is not going to do it. You're going to need a much bigger program than yeah. that. If and here's the other thing I haven't even gone into this on Twitter, but like if your goal is to like if your goal is to sort of like approximate where people would be, but for like like you're basically saying I want to treat people like they would be if they if we had had free college. Yeah. One, of course, again, you're going to have the same point we just made, which is you're going to have to give it to people who have also already paid down. But what about people who. Student debt forgiveness makes no distinction between whether you went to private school or public school. Yep. But the current demand on the left is free public college. Yeah. So the debt forgiveness should not go to people who went to private college if that's what you're trying to do. Yeah. Right. So why would that be included? Why would yeah. you would need to distinguish there? And then there are other issues as well. For instance, like, well, free college meaning free public t- meaning free tuition at public schools that doesn't mean that you won't graduate with debt because you would still probably take on loans a lot of people to pay for room and board and housing that's what they do in the nordic countries they have free college but yeah. people graduate with debt very frequently because yeah. they there's a little bit of assistance for housing but not enough and so they they would take on loans so <laughs> so what would that you see what I'm saying like so there's there are all these issues that you would need to work out I don't work them out because this is not my area but like if someone would tell me what the precise 
goal is, like what is it the bad thing we're trying to remedy? I could construct a policy to, to yeah. do that. But there is instead this real hazy mush between like Graeberite people who are just like debt is its own negative social relation. Which blah, I blah, think blah. is true, by the way. I don't think you can look at debt separate from assets. Anyway, next. Um, and then there's that group. There is this other group that's like reparations for unfree college. There's this group that's like, no, we're just trying to put people where they would be. But for uh, uh, the A fact that we church charge for yeah or just a slice and you're like okay well you guys need to work this out um but as it is debt forgiveness in and of itself doesn't seem to cohere with any of these purposes um so that was basically the end of you know it was such a throwaway line like hey guys let's let's theorize this a little bit more and uh and instead you know twitter you know how they do people want to be mad already don't like you or jacobin for mostly social reasons um take a piece that is honestly innocuous um you know i was thinking about college and uh i liked it a lot i hated graduation you hated graduating i just hated the ceremony the ceremony uh i went to my undergrad ceremony i did not go to my law school ceremony yeah well because and here's the thing is i mean so i didn't go to and i think this is true we didn't go neither of us went to prom neither of us ever went to homecoming no well i don't want to go to a dance uh but i mean these are like supposed to be like milestone celebrate i didn't go to my high school graduation i went to my graduations for my parents mainly yeah and so that's what college was i I hated the graduation i didn't want to go i fought no it was not a pleasant experience and and so my mom and dad because i'd won that dumb scholarship were like you have to go i was like no this is for you i don't you know why don't you guys do something for yourselves like get a massage or something (laughs) no it's real funny right because the premise there is like well we want because they're going to call your name and talk about how you won the marshal or whatever they didn't even do that which was funny yeah well they didn't even do that but two who gives a shit? It's like, okay, so you'll stand up. Everyone will be like, oh, that's very impressive. But like, you don't know any of these people. Right, like, who do you care like, if they think your kid's impressive? Like, you're just basking in a weird... It's just bizarre. I was like, you guys had nothing to do with this, for one. And secondly, like, they're not going to do anything. And what do you even care? Anyway, it was obnoxious. And uh, and then I just outright refused to go to my Cambridge graduation. I didn't do that at all. And then we didn't have a wedding. Yeah. We've just, like, we've just generally... uh refused milestones and and uh, i don't know they're not enjoyable no they're not the processes are not enjoyable the accomplishment is good i mean there's a whole show uh or there was there were a whole variety of shows about how awful weddings are yeah i remember so we used to watch like bridezilla and whatever david david and we watched that before we got married and we were both like man this sucks on ice well yeah and it's just a general social i mean they're picking up on a general social thing um and so we didn't do that. And I actually was re- re- recalling that you used to throw your trophies away when we had to go to awards. We usually just didn't go to awards at debate tournaments. Well, because the way that they, they, they would run the awards before the debate competition was over because it would run late. But, uh, well, yeah, I don't know what to do with trophies. I mean, I don't have very much room in my house. So what am I just, what the hell do I do with this thing? But also, and I mean, um, this was a part of the debate team philosophy that you instilled in us because we essentially didn't have a coach, right? Our debate coach was a theater guy. In high guy, school, yeah. Didn't know what he was doing. And, you know, great guy, but we was just focused on other stuff. So Matt was essentially the de facto debate coach. And Matt's view was, 
in round wins and losses allocated by judges are meaningless. You know uh, when you won or lost. Well, yeah, that that became my view in you know in the later years when I was doing experimental debate. And that res that stuck with the team. So like even after you graduated, we were like winning doesn't matter, losing doesn't matter. You know if you won or lost. Like yeah, you set out your own goal in the round and if you achieve yeah. it, you achieve it and it's that's separate it's from what's you being scored. To contemplate the round and 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 reckon whether or not you actually won or whether you got owned. And sometimes you would get owned and win for spurious, dumb reasons in judging. And sometimes you would win, you know, there would be a moral victory and you wouldn't, you wouldn't get the, you wouldn't get the, the win. And so essentially the team's view became that, that the trophies, the awards, it didn't matter. It was unrelated to whether or not you'd actually won. So we never went to awards. We never took our trophies yeah, I mean, I guess it people... It was a good team philosophy, oh, but it, it, it's... it's it, it, Awards are about recognition, right? Yeah. And I, I, I'm just... I'm, I'm, um, I'm not that interested in recognition in, like, a, in that sense. I like... I do like, at times, being recognized... Like, the fact that the opponent recognizes yeah. that you beat them. That's that is the, enough for yeah. me. I don't need anyone else to see yeah. that happen. And I um, think that's kind of how I ended up feeling about everything. Graduation all those ceremonies i was like i know i did it well and those the recognition <laughs> i mean the, the, the other thing is like that no one gives a shit no one else in the audience gives a shit about you they're there yeah. to see their kid and so it's like well you my parents you know i'm graduate you know i yeah. graduated <laughs> like but there's this weird it seems like there's a sort of delusional thing where it's like everyone will see my kid go across and or you know especially yeah, if they have some cares. special work they none of them care they're just trying to get pictures of their kids so yeah it's like a parallel thing where each person is actually having a private ceremony uh, yeah, separate in from a public space, but in a public space. It's like, it's a, uh, we could just go to dinner or something. We don't need to, to sit out in, you know, for three hours in, you know, the hot sun or whatever. I still struggle with that now, you know, but I'm glad that, uh, that the debate team philosophy was instilled early. You got to be able to reckon your own moral victories and losses in life. You shouldn't, yeah, I mean, I don't want to get too after school special here, but like ex <laughs> external validation is not really, that's, that's you, you want to try to move away from that as much as you can um, and just be validated uh, internally. But if you like the parties and stuff, by all means. I have a lot of, you know, like well, yeah. very if social enjoy, friends who just you, happen to enjoy that stuff. That's one if thing. If you enjoy the pageantry, yeah. if you enjoy, oh, this is a, a way for me to meet up. I mean, I think that's one thing. It's like, oh, well, you meet up with your friends before the thing. Um, um, on, so I, I could see that. And and the same was true with any of the dances or whatever. I mean, there's a social element to it. Um, but I just, you know, personally, I'm not. I'm not that s social, not for any principled reason, just that's just my personality, you know. Yeah, well, I appreciate that about you, honestly. And uh, despite your being antisocial uh, to a certain degree, uh, we are now having guests on the cast. The cast is going to have guests, and yeah. we have a guest today. And joining us now, our very first uh, The Brunigs podcast guest is Will Butler from Arcade Fire. I'm honored to be your celebutante. Thank you. Thank you, Will, for joining us. Uh, the first time that we met... Uh, we were thought to be your Uber drivers. That's right. Yeah. I mean, we were in a way, you we know. We were. Yeah, um, but it was, an, it was an honor. We are all each other's Uber drivers in today's economy. In the gift economy. <laughs> <laughs> we all become each other's Uber drivers. That's true. That's and, true. Uh, that's the dream. We're all each other's dream. Amazon. Yeah, that's beautiful. 
That's really beautiful. For yeah. this Christmas season, all be each other's Amazon. <laughs> Everyone be everyone's Amazon two-day delivery. Uh, and, and if there's a problem with it, you take it back immediately and refund them. Yeah. That's the ultimate Christmas You don't have gift. to take it back. They just refund you. Yeah. That's right. It's amazing. Yeah. One time they sent me like two rice cookers and I only ordered one. And I was yeah. like, this is too many. And they were like, keep it. Yeah, yeah, I didn't you like make. these Legos. You know what, Alvin? Here's some money. And yeah. just keep the bad Legos that I gave you. <laughs> it's all yours. So, you know, just don't make a fuss about it on social media. That's all you can ask, really. Yeah. So, Will, one thing that we have in common uh, is we both spent some time in the Texas burbs. Yes. Growing up. And I've uh, I've noticed in, in the Arcade Fire uh, corpus, the burbs are a focus. It's really this sort of like sinister aspect of suburban life or melancholy. And the woodlands, which is where you uh, grew up, I hear. Mm-hmm. I have this on intelligence and belief. Yeah. Uh, is maybe the most suburban place on earth. Yeah, it's very much so. It's like everything's brand new. It was all built in the last 30 years. Yeah, it was all built in the 70s, and it's mm-hmm. all, it was originally, it's since been sold to the Howard Hughes Foundation. Oh, my God. <laughs> but it was originally owned by George Mitchell, the guy who invented fracking. Oh, great. And he founded the Woodlands Development Corporation. So there's actually no town governing structure. Yeah. There was just a development corporation. Beautiful. <laughs> it's a company town. It's yeah. a company about town. about that? And you have the, I mean, you have the like iconic streets and streets of similar looking stuff and kind of dizzy. And then like. Uh, Rush Fire Lane and yeah. Crinkle Root Court. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> poetry there. Yeah. And, the, and the, the big grocery stores, the Targets, the Walmarts. Your Kroger's. Kroger's. Your, your um, H-E-B Pantry Foods. Love H-E-B. Your, uh, I miss H-E-B. I remember when the first Walmart came in. Yeah. Were people angry about it? No, they were really they were excited. Yeah, yeah, at the yeah. time, it was like, an exciting oh thing. My goodness. Whip ass. We get a Walmart. And then uh, I also remember, what I remember about the Texas Burbs is like being in a, an impossibly large parking lot. Yeah. Like just sprawling uh, basically to the horizon and then walking into a grocery store and getting hit with a blast of icy air out of the summer heat that would almost make your blood pressure malfunction. <laughs> yeah, it was always everyone kind of wearing a leather jacket all the time. You know, it was 110 <laughs> degrees. Like, I remember waiting in line for the movies and people had like scarves and stuff. And it's like 100% humidity, 100 degrees. Because <laughs> you go in and then it's it's like 60, 65 degrees inside. Just, Which yeah, I, I still have great fondness for. I, I really, like, I still like, like that a lot. Close the windows. Turn up the AC. What's wrong with you people? This is like a, this is a running battle we have, Matt and I. That's <laughs> true yeah she she uh brings the temperature in the bedroom down to like 50 degrees uh, <laughs> it's like somewhat uh yeah it'll be like reasonably cool outside and i'm like no i want fake air yeah well man has conquered nature yeah we might as well live with this i just want a basket we don't have to pretend yeah <laughs> it's over it's over we're in the age of the anthropocene now yeah. and you might as well own your mastery and i felt like the burbs was a you know they were a lot like that uh, what do you think about the the idea of the suburban gothic as a genre. The suburban gothic. What do you mean by the suburban gothic? When we, when I was working on the Amber Wyatt story mm. about Arlington, we talked a lot about the suburban gothic, that just kind of being the texture of the story. And like there being all of these aspects of suburban life that are uh, actually quite layered and deep, mm-hmm. even though they seem like superficially shallow, you know, and, uh, and simple. And so I think, you know, you think about the gothic, it's all about, you know, the underground and the complicated and the misleading and the shadowed and the shrouded. And the suburbs don't seem like an obvious vessel for that because they're just like 
company towns that yeah. were like built for an <laughs> obvious purpose that stated out in the open and uh, have very little like uh, you know almost human character to them but i do think there's a lot of stuff going on in suburban life that is sort of deep and dark and complex in that way yeah i mean it's it's full of humans mm. and like me and everyone I knew grew up in a place like that. Yeah. And we're all humans. And you're like, oh, right. There was like crazy things going on all the time. And there was always petty, just constant petty, like house rules where they would call you if you left your windsurfer in the front lawn. Oh, my God. You're not allowed to have a boat in the front lawn. Click. (laughs) 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 Your grass gets too long or it's, we were, we were at my wife's, uh, my wife's family's house in St. Louis mm. in the St. Louis suburbs and like all everyone has to have a slate tile roof like you can't have like a shingle roof in the neighborhood and it's but but then like yeah there's ev- everyone is human and I remember I mean just there's dark things happening like I mean the story you wrote about Amber and I I didn't live through that but it mm. felt very familiar it's like oh right that was yeah, that was in my Texas. town like my my soccer coach tried to kill his wife when, oh my we were, God. when we were 12. And he was like this great, he was like the soccer coach and he drove a Jaguar with like a sunroof and like you got to put your hands out of the sunroof. And then, <laughs> oh my God. and then you're like, oh, and I was 12. I couldn't like really, I didn't really process that. You're like, oh, that's weird. So these <laughs> motifs, they still come to mind as the images and the feelings of suburbia. Do they still, do they stick with you? Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's was my youth yeah and like riding bikes i mean there are all these in the woodlands there are all these bike paths yeah through, through the through the woods so you like ride your bikes through the woods with your friends and even just like sneaking out at night and tp'ing people's houses which i i don't think i i might have been accessory to once but like that <laughs> kind of vibe yeah no my, my my dad did a lot of that in arlington my parents are from arlington too they also mm. met in high school like we did kind of uh tradition there i guess no, and there's a lot of, oh, just so much darkness. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the southern, the, like the, the suburban gothic, the constant <laughs> surveillance, yeah, aspect of it, the yeah, HOA type stuff, getting. Well, and, uh, and particularly, I mean, the high school stuff. High school is dark and horrifying everywhere, but it's just like that. But the woodlands, I mean, these high schools have like thousands of kids. Yeah, they're bigger than like small liberal arts schools. Yeah, that was the same thing with our school. Is uh. There's yeah. no, the, the high school experience as being like, you know, mean girls where everybody knows, thank you, uh, 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 where everybody knows everyone and you know all the cliques, like, oh, these are the popular kids and these are the nerdy kids. Yeah. You don't get that in high schools in these massive suburbs because yeah. there are thousands and thousands of kids. You have no idea who anyone else is. Yeah. Uh, no, and, and like I, I played one year of junior high football in oh, Texas wow. and, uh, Oh, I, I got in like a very short fight where a guy like tried to, was like giving people wedgies and I like pushed a towel in his face and he punched me really hard in the ear. Jesus. Only time I've ever gotten punched. And I was like, oh, I am done with this. <laughs> I'm done with this. And then like, but just like seeing that kid just like gave me the willies for like two years, you know, just like, yeah, oh, that kid's got. That's the bad kid. And this is the same thing. I mean, that's my impression about uh, living, uh, you know, kind of being in high school after the Amber thing is you realize that there's just like this enormous, barely veiled violence all around you. Yeah. 
um, which is like what people go to the suburbs to escape, right? It's not Urbania. It's not violent, but like actually it's extremely violent. Well, it's, just, I, it's just covered in a certain way. For high school, I went to boarding school. I went to Exeter in New Hampshire. It was like mm-hmm. a fancy boarding school, which had the same, same things where it's just like just now in the last 10 years, I'm like, oh, that kid got kicked out for raping someone. <laughs> A felony, like, like an actual serious violent like, oh, crime. Oh, we kind of thought that that's maybe why he got kicked out and we didn't really know. But like yeah. now we're like, oh, wait, that's definitely what happened. And he was like kind of quietly kicked out of school. And you're like, oh, everywhere is horrible. Every, <laughs> everywhere is, is there is a great darkness over the land. <laughs> <laughs> the darkness infests everything. Uh, but uh, with of, great darkness comes great light. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah. I find this can be true. Uh, which is a great segue. So, do you still follow Texas politics at all? A little bit. What did you What did you make of the Beto uh, Ted Cruz competition for the Senate? Oh, I mean, I I fundamentally love any sort of campaign that's literally just like trying to physically talk to as many people as possible. Yeah. Which that like kind of more than policy, mm-hmm. just like going door to door and, mm-hmm. and just the shtick of going to every county in a giant state like Texas, I thought was yeah. really beautiful. Very democratic. Yeah. yeah. No, I had, a, I had a friend who was running for Congress in Sugarland. His name's Shri Kolkarni. Oh, cool. And he was, it's, you know, one of the most diverse counties in sure. America. Yeah. And so he was, they were doing all these multilingual phone banks, like calling people in Urdu and calling people Fantastic. in Vietnamese and in Spanish and in Russian. And I mean, he lost by six points or something, but it was really beautiful. He was mm-hmm. literally just trying to get out. I mean, his, he's of South Asian descent. So he was like trying to talk to South Asian people mm-hmm. and being like, you're invested here. And there was something really beautiful about that, about yeah. just talking to people's concerns, whether, you know, I obviously have, extremely strong policy preferences but just yeah. the actual campaigning and listening to people i think is a really beautiful way to start that which was really which was great and just from a strategic level beto got a bunch of judges elected he probably yeah. got two or three right, extra yeah. representatives yeah. elected it the was like really, really yeah. worth it yeah uh we have a tweet for you to read uh <laughs> we'd like you to share with our uh listeners um we don't know what to make of it yeah, you're a, you follow politics. You're a smart man. Yeah, you're you're well read, so maybe you can give us a, a sense of it. This is uh, from at Leah McElrath. McElrath. Anyway, I can't who knows? Read. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows these things? Ojeda and Avenatti as candidates are like the guy who thinks good sex is pumping away while you're making a grocery list in your head, wondering when he'll be done. O'Rourke is like the guy who is all sweet and nerdy, but holds you down and makes you come until your calves cramp. So you're, you cool, know, it was you're great being on the on the pod <laughs> with you guys. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> uh, great, thanks so much. I'll li- I'll just I'll I'll hang up now and just listen. <laughs> well, we've to- we've toyed with the idea of uh, asking all the guests to read that exact same tweet. Yeah, I um, think so. Yeah, once we get yeah, Bernie will be the peak. I feel like um, it was it was interesting. The thing that jumped out at me on this reading, yeah, was using the extra characters to say O'Rourke. Yeah. As opposed to Beto. Yeah. <laughs> That's there was right. Something, there was That's also true. something made it more, much more gritty, um, <laughs> spy novel kind of sexy. There's like, a oh, consistency. Yeah. yeah, she's being consistent, in, I guess. And using all the surnames. You know, you got you to go. O'Rourke held her down until her calves cramped. <laughs> 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 That's my question is like, it's like, so these two guys. What is the political yeah. analogy of that? 
Uh, O'Rourke is going to force good policy upon us. He's, it's kind of a little deceptive, uh, you know. You think yeah. one thing, and then he—I mean—is that is that is that? You w- think O'Rourke is just a normal Democrat, but he's actually going to get into office and be a complete Maoist. Oh, okay. Maybe is that? I don't know what is. I the, thought he was. You thought he was a normal Democrat, and then he'd come into office and be a super sex god kind of. <laughs> <laughs> like I thought it was purely. I thought it was not metaphorical. There's no metaphor. <laughs> it's uh, it's just that I you think he's a normal Democrat, but then he's actually, you know, an extremely skilled lover. <laughs> Um, I mean, politics are changing. Yeah, their politics are. Uh, that's absolutely true. I think that's as fair a reading as anything. This is I, actually a, 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 a an assessment of Rourke as a uh, you know. It's very much a Rorschach test. I feel like yeah. this what do you, tweet. What do you see uh, in it, Matt? You know, I feel like I understand the first paragraph about uh, Ojeda and Avenatti. You know, she's just like, well, these people. They're kind of boring me. They just keep hitting the same thing over and over again. But then the, it's the second tweet about the second paragraph about O'Rourke. I feel like she just switched registers and she she moved away from metaphor <laughs> and was just like just horny. You know, it's like so here's a political metaphor and here's a fantasy I have also. <laughs> yes, and it's <laughs> both of the same tweet. <laughs> I like it. It's like it's like the switch and register and uh, Pink Floyd's mother. Yeah. You know, sometimes you just got to do some interesting stuff with the form. Yeah. And I and when you were referring to it as paragraphs, it actually was true, even though it's a, a one two hundred and eighty character tweet. It's like it felt it feels like two proper paragraphs. Not Absolutely, really there's two break. worlds in this tweet. Really, <laughs> it's almost like the turn, the classic turn in a sonnet. It's yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we hit the turn, and then now we're in uh, we're in the in the part where we're touching reality. We're yeah. in the sublime. <laughs> it reminds me of the immortal words of John Donne. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly. I, I, so no matter who runs what com shop in 2020, uh, no one's going to be able to match this. Uh, I mean, if I'm O'Rourke, I'm just putting this on my website. That's yeah. just like the landing page, you know, where you yeah. sign up to volunteer. <laughs> I would have that. And then under it, the sign up to volunteer thing. And you have to like click the X <laughs> to get into my, the... My ideal thing to do is if I were running O'Rourke's comm shop would be to garble it in classic meme fashion so that it, the, the content becomes divorced from the original <laughs> thing. So you get like O'Rourke will fuck up your legs <laughs> or something. <laughs> no, they should, they should, they should <laughs> have cramps. <laughs> Got cramps, O'Rourke. <laughs> <laughs> they should they should screenshot it and then screenshot the screenshot and then screenshot the screenshot until there is just an abstract uh, it's just an image idea. of it. It's like, it's like about physical fitness kind <laughs> of like, ties in. I mean, how do you lose? Like my my proposal for expanding the earned income tax credit will make your calves cramp. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> No, no, that's gonna and that's gonna be the way that it has to happen in 2020. That's what we're doomed to. I mean, that's how you uh, you have to be completely illegible almost <laughs> to get the votes. I feel like Trump uh, piloted this. He he was oftentimes barely legible in his campaigning material. Yeah. So, um, you know, how could this hurt? Really, this is the time to be experimental in politics. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of new things happening. Yeah, throw it all out there. Agreed. Agreed. I don't know about Beto for president, although this is an argument for it. Yeah, if we can get more tweets from 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 thirst <laughs> thirsty people online, I mean, you gotta we gotta come up with a polling measure that measures thirst. <laughs> That's a good one. I do think. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, attractiveness has to matter on some level. It's like any other celebrity game, you know. JFK, Obama. Obama. You yeah. know, thirst is a Sarah Palin. Yeah, that was a big thing that for was the a right big wing. I mean, thirst trap as in much politics. As they, really? Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. 
because like she had so innocent back then she had been a beauty uh queen like a beauty pageant contestant and like uh they could barely contain themselves about how like she's a politician but she's also extremely hot check that out hairy legged women libbers yeah, yeah, no, that was a thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I kind of remember that now. With the beehive do yeah. and the and the and because she had like five or six kids or whatever. Yeah. That was another t- a- aspect of it. Oh, um, all these pictures over in her running gear. Mm-hmm. Remember you? They kind of do the same thing with Nikki Haley now. Yeah, I don't know if you've noticed this on like National Review. There are all these articles that are like seem to be thinly veiled uh, thirst articles. Yeah, we need um, a thirst index. Uh, that'll help us predict outcomes. I feel. Yeah. Like a betting market. Thirst index. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We like let's get, go to the markets and get see Get the thirst <laughs> market going in Vegas and yeah, uh, get see Nate what people Silver do. to incorporate it into yeah. his model. So we need into to recruit, his deluxe model. Uh, recruit our hottest Democrat. Furthest left and hottest. You need to max out that uh, axis. It's not a bad idea. I mean, that's sort of what we have AOC for at this point. I'm just going to say it. I feel comfortable saying it as well. All right. Well, you can do that then. <laughs> I'm certainly not. Yeah. <laughs> So, she has, uh, so what do you make of AOC? She has great politics. I think she definitely does the thing you're talking about where she's very connected. Yeah. The constituent. She does Instagram live. Love it. I, th- I love it. And then, and of course, she's, she's going to get all these stupid uh, Daily Caller articles that are like, on Instagram live, she misspoke. And like, that's going to be the... the yeah, yeah, yeah. She with. said... Uh, she said three chambers of Congress, and then immediately after it was like, I mean, three chambers uh, of government or whatever. That we like can win. Yeah. The Senate, House, and... Um, and, yeah. and they wrote a whole article about, this moron doesn't understand the government. Yeah, like, wow, has anyone heard of the judiciary? It's like, she was talking about electoral wins. Yeah. Dumbass, she wasn't wrong. No, I mean, I, I love, I mean, this is a paraphrase, but the quote where she was like, if you look at... My district is 85% Democratic. Yeah. If you look at a district that's 85% Republican, the representatives are straight up talking about aliens. <laughs> I <laughs> am allowed to talk about health care. Right. Yeah. Like, I am allowed to do that. Yeah. I'm part of the ecosystem, guys. Yeah. <laughs> right, no, right. I think she's fantastic. And I think the super demotic way she's going about it, where she's just reaching out directly to people and bypassing the typical like yeah. channels you have to use to reach constituents, I think bypassing those altogether is a fantastic move. And just super normal. Like yeah. every, anything that's presented as like an AOC gaffe. I'm like, oh, that sounds like a person. Yeah, there's right, just like right. a normal person yeah. who's uh, actually trying to engage in politics honestly and not run everything through a PR firm yeah. they've hired. No, there is a thing in my rep here is Jerry Nadler. who's uh-huh. going to head the Senate. What is it? The, the Judiciary Committee. Mm-hmm. Right. But there was a thing in the Federalist where they overheard one of his conversations on oh the train. Man. And he was like, man, I, I want to impeach Brett Kavanaugh so bad. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, that's actually sounds exactly like what Democrats. Yeah. Most people are very explicit like about, about this. That. Yeah. Like I'm actually glad that that was the secret conversation you overheard. sounds like he's accurately representing the views of <laughs> Manhattan and Red Hook and Kensington. It right. could be so much worse. <laughs> yeah. At least like, it's yeah, not. I want to yeah. impeach that guy. Yeah. Obviously it won't happen, but like, man, I just want to stick him in that guy's face. Like uh, the, the, when stuff gets leaked out of the Catholic church, church for example <laughs> so they overheard conversations and leaked materials are much much more uh much yeah. more disturbing <laughs> so as far as overheard conversations go at least it wasn't a weird sex thing yeah or he could have been talking to donors or he could have yeah. been you know that's what i would have would fear with any of this sort of long time democrats is they're just like they give as little as possible yeah. as they can to the base but just to, if he's fired up about it then at least he's a true believer on yeah. some level so that's so always are you taking inspiration from the current political climate the 
you just kind of how ginned up and experimental things feel right now? I'm very happy that like people have been convicted of crimes in Florida can vote. Yeah. It's on a human dignity level. Yeah. Like I'm all for expanding human dignity. Mm-hmm. I hope that the new Congress also expands human dignity. <laughs> yeah, but yes. I th- there's definitely be some harm reduction, but I'm I'm I I'm not unhopeful, but I'm definitely like, oh let's see what happens. Yeah. I, yeah. I I'm not enough of a I mean, I follow everything. Oh my lord, I can tell you anything about anything but like i'm i don't know i'm i'm not enough of like a the a fan of congress as the nba to like get, yeah. in, get right. in on there right. no, it's I like completely well i hope that human dignity wins out because like it'd be nice to treat humans as humans it's taken quite a few hits in <laughs> yeah. recent decades oh. uh yeah ppp had a whole paper about uh enfranchising felons yeah 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 yeah. well yeah enfranchising everyone even prisoners that was our position yeah Um, Yeah. which is actually rather normal my my people are from maine Mm -hmm. that's what you can do in maine and vermont ballot yeah Yeah. Yeah. that makes sense yeah maybe it's because they don't have any black people there maybe that's why (laughs) they never passed that law i don't mean to be well it is abnormal i mean in the paper that we did like a survey of other countries and it is very and it was not it's very uncommon to disenfranchise uh, prisoners uh, uh, that's a fairly american uh, thing yeah. so i guess the norm is is not to do it yeah. um which yeah then goes to say, ask well why do we do it and you know i think you have a good working theory on why that <laughs> might be yeah. it's, it's possible yeah, i have my suspicions uh, so, I mean, uh, in terms of inspiration, there's sort of hope for the future. Uh, what are you feeling in terms of uh, artistic inspiration? Hmm. Someone, you know, who creates and things that reflect on the world. Yeah, I mean, I always think about The Clash writing songs about the Spanish Civil War. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> kind of, there's something, there's something long term about it. But I mean, I also think about like Dylan writing the lonesome death of Hattie Carroll based on the newspaper. And there's the art of it is confusing Mm -hmm. because the art has to be real and has to emerge from someplace. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm really not on the train of like, I'm glad we got Trump because like punk rock's going to make a comeback. It's like, oh, punk would have been fine under anyone. (laughs) Sure, they would be mad at Hillary Clinton. It'd be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But I, but I mean, I've, I've, I have always drawn inspiration from just like living in a place. I mean, four of the songs on our first record are called Neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah like it's yeah. all about living in a place. And I have, I'm definitely more aware of policy and yeah. of politics and how that affects the neighborhood I live in and the life of my neighborhood. So I do feel expanded artistically in that way. Like there's a whole other world. Yeah. But, uh, this kind of local world and how it reflects all these things that are going on in, in the outside realm of policy and international politics. And yeah. It zeroes down to the local level. Yeah. And that's where you see yourself kind of working creatively. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I read a lot of Dostoevsky in high school oh, and college same. and it's like he could kind of work on all levels, but the art, yeah. the art, when it's at its best is like very human. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're human stories. And then they refracted through them or all the historical and social context of their period. That's what I, I think is one of my favorite things about crime and punishment. Yeah. It's the, the kind of boil of revolution that's ever present. Uh, so 
your brother, actually, uh, who's also in the band, uh, as I understand. I could be wrong. I think so. Right? You are correct. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Uh, Ten uh, points, Gryffindor. <laughs> 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 he, did a, he did an ad. He did an ad with uh, with Bernie. Yeah, I don't, yeah, oh, a little yeah, YouTube or Twitter video or yeah. something yeah. like that. Did he consult with everybody in the band first? Does he speak for all? Ratified it or all twenty members yeah, of I the mean, band? We were all down with it. Are you for Medicare for some? I mean, <laughs> I lived in Canada for ten years, <laughs> yeah. and we had like a we had a universal healthcare system. Mm-hmm. We had subsidized daycare, seven dollar a day daycare. Oh my god! Which now, since we moved, they know they're on a sliding scale. I think it's up seven to twenty one dollars. They had um, they had extended family leave. I think you got a year, which you could divide between the parents, Mm -hmm. and. For better or worse, it was still super capitalist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like take that on whatever side you want. Yeah. It's like, the and the mayors were in Montreal. Like two of the mayors while I was there were literally let out in handcuffs, and the mafia <laughs> ran the construction business. Like you can still have all the problems you want. But we, our son was born in Montreal. Mm-hmm. And we walked in, and we sh- and my wife showed her ID card, and everyone in the you knew that everyone in the waiting room. Mm-hmm was just a human being treated with dignity. Yeah, yeah. And some of them were immigrants and some of them were Canadians from the 1800s, mm-hmm. but it was all the same, theoretically. I mean, it's still the thing where yeah. rich people know the phone numbers to call and they know the friends that know the good gynecologists and all that. But it was amazing. And then we came home and then two days later, a nurse from our local healthcare center came over and weighed the baby and made sure that we weren't that we had food. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. Dying. It was like floundering. And they came back two weeks later. And then our son had to get surgery when he was a month old. Oh, no. And we just took him to the children's hospital. And he got the surgery. And then we went home. And we weren't... Like, we're still... We had we had twins 10 months ago. And we're still getting ticky-tack. Like, you own $60 yeah, to yeah, the yeah. hospital. And you're like, are you kidding me so $60 double blanket fee we are all yeah very much in favor of a Medicare (laughs) for all type proposal I mean half of us half of us are true Canadians half of us are American slash dual citizens things of that reducing the cognitive burden of having to navigate the private insurance uh, sector is a huge argument yeah this is is one yeah I think people miss is like even if you have the means it's just a pain in the ass to deal with this yes And yeah, like we, there's a lot of university degrees in this household and it's still like, we just got a letter today that like our insurer hasn't made a contract with our pediatrician Oh my god! and our plan is ending anyway. So we have to get a new one. But by the way, you don't have to switch companies if you like our, your pediatrician, which we do. Mm. (laughs) It's like, come on guys. Like I get it. I live in Canada. There were problems. We had a friend who was like under the table working construction and he like, he nail gunned himself in the leg. Oh my god! And went to the hospital, and they were like, "Yeah, you're fine. Can you like come back Tuesday?" It's like, <laughs> oh no! <laughs> like, and he went to a different hospital and was treated. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Like you know, there there were issues, uh, but anyway. So how is how is it being on the road with kids? Because there's like, quite a lot of the song. Your your songs uh talk about mm-hmm. having children and raising kids, which is uh, inspirational. Speaks to us as, as <laughs> child havers. <laughs> Yeah, so, so actually I took Alvin out by myself for the first time on this last run in the summer, just for like two weeks. Because mm-hmm. normally, I mean, having three kids is a new and fabulous frontier. <laughs> but we had Alvin for a long time and kind of yeah. Jenny and Alvin would pop out when it was nice. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, it's it's not that fun traveling. Yeah. I mean, it's, we're obviously well paid. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. but it, you know, like two weeks is easy. Three weeks, like your brain starts to melt. Four weeks, your <laughs> soul starts to melt. Yeah. Five weeks, you're like through the looking glass people. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I took Alvin out for two weeks and he was like obsessed with the tour bus because he's like six. And he's like, <gasps> That's extremely cool. Yeah. Like yeah. Bunks. Johnny, like, yeah. yeah. There's all these buttons and the lights go on with this. <laughs> so he had a good time being yeah. with you. Yeah. But like my, so that my mom's whole family has been doing like she she and all her cousins and her parents and their siblings had a tv show in the 60s like a variety show and then her mom who would help start the show wait wait what was it called it's called the king family show beautiful it's very wow so it was one of those those shows and then her mom my grandma was like was in a traveling family band when she was like in the pre-depression west with her siblings and then they became her and her sisters became jazz singers. And she met my grandpa was a guitar player and they were married and they ran the big band. And so there's kind of a family tradition of just like everyone get on the road and get on the bus and figure it out. And so like, how do you, you know, those situations where you're sort of like on the move, you know, can maintain a sense of like coherency and, Mm -hmm. you know, family cogency and like, authority with a kid when you're in that kind of situation where everything seems upside down. Yeah. They, they definitely run wild. Yeah. <laughs> it feels, I mean, it feels like summer a little bit. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, Just stay out till it's dark. Like, Oh, it's 11. <laughs> it's not dark yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure, I mean, just naturally a certain percentage of kids get messed up. So whatever happens, it's so in, hard to in trace. In lab conditions, a certain <laughs> right. number of them. It's like hard to trace as to where the problems come from. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's just music is very much a part of our family. Yeah. And has been for mm-hmm. generations and generations and generations. So, so you so are that, carrying on a tradition when you do this. Yeah. So nice. the, those ties feel very natural. And like all, not all, but kind of the core group of crew have been with us for 10 or 12 years. Mm, they're familiar. And so, and so like they're all friends yeah. and they like will show Alvin the drum kit and stuff. Oh, and like, it's nice. you know, it's, it's, it's quite familial at this point. If you had like one piece of parenting advice to give parents and also one piece of political advice to give Democrats, <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing. It has to be the same piece of advice. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. That's a, yeah. This is nightmare mode. Um, I would say my piece of advice for parents and Democrats (laughs) (laughs) and however they may overlap and however they may overlap is (laughs) try to, (laughs) hmm, I don't know. Go to go to bed when it's dark out. Wake up when it's light out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a good one. I try I, to follow that myself. I w- it's very hard. It's harder than you think. I think mine would be like uh, talk slowly and clearly. Oh. <laughs> repetition, repetition is repetition key. Repetition is key. <laughs> uh, prioritize things carefully. Huh. <laughs> don't let things that don't matter get in the way of things that do. Make it all about healthcare. <laughs> Keep a huge uh, mass of surprise eggs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People yeah, love them. People, yeah. do people love, love the surprise eggs. eggs. Yeah. Children love the surprise egg videos. My daughter's obsessed with these little surprise eggs. Yeah. 
People love the surprise egg. We have to integrate that into policy somehow because it would be irresistible. Kind of classic Tammany Hall machine politics, but with surprise eggs. But with surprise eggs, right. You're meeting out the surprise eggs. Like everyone get in line. You're getting your surprise eggs. (laughs) (laughs) Now go pull the lever. Exactly. I, I, Gobo I, I see a mistake. Oh my God, Matt worked for Kucinich. That's I a true story. In his office. Oh, we should tell that story at some point. Yeah, uh, Matt worked for Kucinich. Matt is close to Nader. Uh, I've been yeah, I've been to oh. Gadfly and all the the hanger-ons in yeah. the U.S. left. All of the extremely weird U.S. left figures <laughs> <laughs> who have been 21st problems. Twenty-first century man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Matt has been. He's like in the edge of the frame of every picture, uh, being like, "Yeah, I like Kucinich." Uh, Nader, who else? I mean, there's there's more figures. Uh, well, like you know, bo- kind of a boring Forrest Gump. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. If Forrest Gump had kind of a, a belligerent form of autism instead of the affable <laughs> uh, developmental issue that he has, um, <laughs> yes, life is like a surprise egg. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Once you crack it open, you're done with I've it. I've worked for <laughs> I've worked for many unions. I've worked for yeah. I've kicked around the uh, you know for as long as different institutions Matt's will tolerate legs me for the teamsters <laughs> <laughs> how are you feeling in this moment i guess you how are you feeling in this moment about what about <laughs> this moment of politics in uh, this foment i feel good i feel good i mean uh you know it seems like everything is possible right now you know when we don't have a democrat in office it the uh, field is open yeah. so that's the uh the up sh- upside. It um, was it was pretty exhilarating that like one person won one primary and everyone was like, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm from Medicare for all." Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. Like, Whoa, it's that like seventy percent of the country that now was on the best. Poll. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I take great inspiration even from the crazy Republican side of things, where it's just like instantly they're like, "Oh, we love Putin." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait, that took like two weeks. The critical like, mass takes no time yeah. to build. So it's just yeah. you just gotta. A couple of things got to happen, and then you say, this is how it is. And then everyone's like, oh, that's obviously how it is. There's like, a combination oh. of factors you need. And if you get them, you can just like, the situation is prompt, super critical in no time. And yeah. it's like a combination of memes. Memes, <laughs> yeah. Memes are a big part of it. Uh, media, thirst. Yeah, well, um, yeah, and yeah, yeah. If you can just, there's a few stories, like, Stories, yeah. I feel like the human stories yeah. of healthcare have been a big part. There was a letter circulating on Twitter of someone who needed, uh, I think, heart surgery, and their, the surgery group had recommended that they raise money right. on GoFundMe. Yeah. So I think that, like, images like those, just sort of images of daily life and, like, the privations of yeah. the healthcare system have helped. You've got, like, a 110-page book there, a little volume. Memes, yeah. me- what was it? Memes, Memes thirst. thirst. <laughs> <laughs> Memes, thirst, stories. We're going to open stories. up a, cons- a consultancy <laughs> shop in D.C. Yeah. Memes, thirst, stories. You're going to need right. memes. You're going to need thirst of some kind. I mean, even even the Bernie thing took on an ironic thirst edge and feel the burn. Feel the burn. That was, yeah, uh, yeah that was a uh, f- friend Brett Banditelli's uh, mm-hmm. invention. I will uh, feel it. Internet genius. Um, get a chapter about Gritty in and get it out before <laughs> 2019. <laughs> yeah. uh, I feel like you got a surprise political bestseller. You got to sell your gritty stock. <laughs> <laughs> I saw this horrible, uh, this horrible statement the other day that the alt right is trying to co-opt Gritty. Oh my! I think too yeah. many words that Just I don't like in that. <laughs> and my uh, brain sort of liquefied a little. <laughs> I did like someone proposed Ina Garten as the mascot for the New York Islanders, which I thought would be a nice development. I love her so much. <laughs> that is unironic. <laughs> I also like Martha Stewart a lot. There are so many women who just like lead amazing Hamptons wine mom lives that like I actually unironically adore. Yeah. She's uh she seems like she'd kick ass in person. 
Probably, yeah. There's a drunk Ina Garden uh, Twitter account, which is amazing. <laughs> verified or no, uh, no, totally unverified. A little cloud next to it. Fake <laughs> 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 verified. Yeah, there's like a little blue dot by it. You know, Matt's uh, Matt's unverified. Yes, one I'm, of the people. Uh, principally yeah. unverified. He's a yeoman uh, poster <laughs> out there in the take mines every day. It's true. It's true. Just working among the people. With, so, with uh, YLF. Yeah, he's the, the Emperor of Cincinnatus who left the throne and went back to farm. Yeah. That's true. I'm not never gotten anywhere close to the throne. You're uh, a veritable <laughs> Pope Benedict Emeritus. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Woo! That's a hot tamale. <laughs> All right. I don't know. I'm I'm the butler to Matt's Pope Benedict. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I, I really appreciate you coming on with us. I, yeah. I really appreciate you giving us a shot, uh, at, uh, having a guest on our podcast. Uh, well, how would you say it went? Do you think we did okay? I think it went eight. <laughs> I think my calves are cramping. Oh, no. oh my God. <laughs> oh no. Just cause just from, just from exercise, it's about physical fitness. It's about the president's council on physical fitness. It's like a semi-fascist um, take hmm. now. It's like get fit for the motherland. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, this take has, it has universes within it. This tweet. It's uh, it's very powerful. So I hope this cramped your calves. Listeners. Yeah, yeah, and the listeners for um, sure. We're gonna try to uh, have further guests. Will will always be our first guest. Always. Thank you Historical. so much, Will. Thanks, Will. Anytime. Have a good one. <laughs>